0: You're listening to episode 168 of Shades Midweek. This is a podcast where we talk about theology, culture, and all things Shades. Just want to thank you so much for listening each and every week. And as usual, we are bringing this podcast to you from 3Stream Studio. And I am joined today by the one and the only Jonathan Hayes. Jonathan, what's going on in your world today?
1: Well, you know, per usual, uh, we're Sands 1 Brad Brown. Of course. And you know what's the great irony about this situation, John Mark? Mm-hmm. I am technically on vacation.
0: <laughs> so you're on vacation and you're still and working. I'm here. You're I'm here, here to bring this podcast to our faithful what, listeners. That's
1: what midweek means to me, John Mark. Right. That's what it means right. to me. Where is Brad, who is working? Oh, quote, working. Quote, working. Where, mm-hmm. He's nowhere to be found. Not here. Nowhere to. No, nah, I just wanted to give him up. Hard time. I am technically on, on vacation this week, but I needed to, it's it's a staycation situation, and I needed to swing by here for a couple of things. I was like, oh, I can record the intro to the podcast. That'll take, like, five minutes, and sure. it's fun. So, yeah. you know, I people may not believe this, but, like, Brad, John Mark, and myself, uh, we're actually friends, like, outside of work, and so, like, we like to hang out. And so, like, doing this right now is really, it's not a problem. I enjoy it. Yeah. So it's
0: elevated hanging. At out. least I we're,
1: think I think we're friends outside of work, and they let me believe it.
0: It's recording while we hang out. That's right. It just happens right. to be heard by other people.
1: Anyway, but you asked what's going on in my world, so uh, here's how my staycation started yesterday. Last night, um, I broke my toe.
0: Really? <laughs> you seem fine. You were walking around okay. I, I
1: didn't tell I I purposefully when you saw me earlier, I was doing everything I could not to limp because like I oh want to no. tell him this on air.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: It's not a big deal. It literally doesn't hurt unless I move it or put on shoes. It's my little toe, my my pinky toe on my left foot. Um viewer discretion, if if things like kind of hurt you or make you nauseous, then you may not want to listen to the next 15 seconds. So, as everybody knows, my family does Taekwondo. Yep. So, we were doing Taekwondo last night, and you're like, oh, did you, like, kick someone in the face and break? <laughs> no, it's not that cool. I literally just pivoted. I pivoted, and my pinky toe caught the seam where two of the mats meet each other. Right. So, my whole foot turned except for my pinky toe. Oh. And I heard it pop. Oh. And I fell to the ground.
0: <laughs> It was like oh my gosh, it hurts. in pain. Everyone's like, "What's, what's, what's the matter? Are you okay?"
1: Right, right. And uh, and and my toe is some beautiful colors this morning, but it really isn't that bad. Like it, it. I don't think I like like broke it, broke it. I think I just kind of like you know maybe a small fracture. So I'm just gonna tape the two of them together. And it really only hurts if I put shoes on and and like walk on it or bump it or whatever was
0: anyone present at the moment when you broke your toe anyone oh holly was family? standing okay. right
1: there holly was standing right because i was uh i was doing a, she was holding a, a pad a kicker pad uh-huh. and i was doing this this kick and i had to pivot in order to do it and so i pivot to lift my leg and just collapse to the ground
0: so there's really not much you can do with a pinky toe, right? I mean, you just kind of... I don't
1: think so. I mean, unless it unless it was like so bad of a break, right. it needed surgery right. or something. Right. I mean, I think it's... Yeah, you didn't have like a bone. Sticking no, no, out no. Nothing no, gross like that. Like that. Nah, okay. so I think it's just going to be like wow. a, a tape them together situation. Because it really only hurts, too, if it gets bent in a particular way. Mm. It's just kind of sensitive. But anything fun happening with you?
0: We've got some family in town this week. Nice. Some in-laws in town, so that's fun. So we're hosting, but we get some free child care out of it which is always a blessing so we got some date nights uh scheduled That's for this awesome. week and we're just hanging out. We watched Top Gun Maverick the other night, rewatched that movie. That was nice. great. Later today I'm taking my kids and uh their grandfather and we're all going to go see the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie oh, which came out today. Nice. So. Going to do that later today, so pretty psyched.
1: Turtles are back, man. I know. That's my childhood right there. It's amazing. There. I
0: guess they're going to reboot the whole thing, so I'm I really excited.
1: For the 50th time. Right.
0: <laughs> i remember the cartoons you know when i was a kid
1: oh yeah cartoon dude i had i had turtle action figures i remember i loved the first movie yeah um as a kid i i mean i watched the second one secret of the ooze and i even watched the third one multiple times um they were (laughs) terrible but man i was a turtles fan well i
0: think this one's gonna be pretty good so you got a favorite turtle I'm not, like, super into
1: it. Um, Like, I
0: watch the cartoon, but I've never seen any of the other movies.
1: I was always a big Michelangelo fan. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But anyway. So that's what's going on. Yeah, man. Well, what's going on in the world of music? JM's album. Live, I
0: wish CeCe Winans out Al, her album from a couple years ago. The song is called Fire. Yep, the album's and called Believe For it. it, it's a live recording.
1: Yeah, you sent me a uh, this yeah, no, you sent me a song off of it it's not so long ago. Yeah, and I I started listening to the whole album. It's so good, isn't it? It's great, man.
0: Just wait until these drums and the bass come in here.
1: Ooh. Yes, we're going to church right yes. now.
0: Yes. So word on the street is that she's coming to Church of the Highlands to do like a really? well. I would call it a worship night, but apparently they're calling. She's calling it a revival
1: night. Okay, so it's not
0: just worship; it's a revival night. There we go. So I will let everyone know when I hear when I get a solid date on that. But CC Winans, she's been around for a long time, part we- of the Winans family. So BB Winans and. I mean, so many talented musicians out of that
1: family. And is there a DD Winans?
0: I don't know. I'm, I I know there was like or a AA
1: a. 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 Winans. I mean, we got a CC and a BB. Sorry, Sorry I thought you were being da- sincere. Nah, man, it's a terrible you were being dad joke.
0: Sincere for a moment, <laughs> and it went over my head.
1: <laughs> oh man, uh, really? I, r-
0: I really enjoy this record. So you know, we've played this song worthy of it all. Yeah, that's what so, I was about to say. So she didn't write that song, but but that song is actually like. Ten or twelve years old, and when she did her version of it, it just blew up again. Wow. Just had like this whole new lifespan. Well, when are we
1: doing this song, John Mark?
0: Soon. I want to do it soon. I mean, we don't have a choir, so that that'll be a little difficult. Uh, but we're gonna make it work. And I, yeah, there's several songs on here that I'd love to do. Worthy of it all is amazing. King of Glory is incredible. We're when when we gonna start the record. Shades
1: Choir. <laughs> we can get some robes up in here, man.
0: Yeah, so uh, check that out if you guys are into worship music. If you're into gospel music in particular, this is a nice blend, actually, of gospel and more, I guess, contemporary worship. Yeah. So uh, check it out. The album is called Believe for It. CC Wyman's love it. Streaming everywhere. All right, Brad's not here, so let's see what happens when I push this button.
1: Oh no! Push that button again. There you go. Okay. <laughs> that was enough. Well, subbing in for Bradford is myself, and I've got a book that I am almost finished with, um, and I highly recommend. John Mark, you may recall that, oh, goodness, maybe a year ago or so, we came into possession of, like, 200 copies of Dane Ortland's Gentle and Lowly. Yeah. And Gentle and Lowly just, like, it it topped the charts on, like, everybody's book of the year list. Um, just It's just refreshing to the soul. Um, just a book that you can almost read devotionally, like for you to just encounter the heart of Jesus. Well, there is a follow-up from Mr. Dane Ortland, and this book is called Deeper. Real Change for Real Sinners. So just to do what Bradford does and read you a little bit of a description, it says, How do Christians grow? Few question the call of the Bible to grow in godliness, but the answer to exactly how this happens is often elusive. In this book, Dane Ortland points believers to Christ, making the case that sanctification does not happen by doing more or becoming better, but by going deeper into the wondrous gospel truths that washed over them when they were first united with Him. It's it's very much in the same vein as gentle and lowly, um, but man, just you want to talk about like it's like a glass of cold water to your soul, you know, and so I highly recommend it. It's not a long book, and again, you can read it very devotionally, Um, so yeah, check it out. Let me know what you think. Deeper, Real Change for Real Sinners by Dane Ortland.
0: Awesome, great recommendation. Uh, we still have copies of Gentle and Lowly. We do. We do. If you,
1: yeah, if you want Gentle and Lowly, we've got plenty of copies of it. Let us know if yeah. you want to give a copy away to somebody. Let yeah. us know. Yeah,
0: and just email us or just see us in person, and we'll get you a copy. They're they're in the office. I absolutely. Believe. Um, okay, we need to do a couple of housekeeping things okay. before we uh, get to the the bulk of the podcast today. We have some events coming up that we're really excited about. Just wanted to let everyone know so that you were in the know. Uh, if you if you don't subscribe to our email, number one, that's one of the best places to find out about everything that's happening. Uh, you can go to our website, ShadesValley.org. Literally just scroll to the bottom of the, the homepage there. You can enter in your email address. It will automatically subscribe you, you to our emails. We normally send those out on Wednesdays or Thursdays every week. It's usually packed full of information on things that are coming up. So we have a Shades Kids Back to School water slide party. This is something that Brooke Primo put together. We're really excited about it. It's going to be here at the church Uh, on saturday august 12th from 10 a.m to 12 p.m just a nice way to welcome all the kids back to school water slide i think there's going to be snacks it's going to be a great time further into the month of august on august 30th the youth is going to have a back to school bash so this is kind of the return of svcc youth for the fall semester and this will happen on August thirtieth, uh, from six thirty to eight. I know Sarah Hirsch has a lot of things planned for that night. So if you have someone that is, uh, if you have a child that is in the youth or youth age, come check it out. They normally meet in the youth loft on Wednesday nights from six thirty to eight. So we got that back to school bash coming up. If you are interested in church membership, we have a root seminar now. This is a little further out. But just go ahead and put it on your calendar. Maybe you're new to Shades and you're listening to this podcast and you'd like to find out more about Shades uh, as well as what church membership looks like here. Come to our Roots Seminar on Sunday, September 10th. This will be happening immediately following the service. We normally have it upstairs in the conference room. Uh, we can provide pizza. What we're having what we're asking people to do is to email office at shadesvalley.org if you'd uh, like to be there. And if you need child care, you can also let us know. Were you about to say something? I was just gonna
1: say we already got some signups. I mean, I think they, they yep. So there you go. Well Come join them.
0: Okay, and this next thing that I'm gonna that I'm going to mention in correlation with the roots seminar, but this is this leads into a much bigger announcement that's coming this sunday. So if you are interested in root seminar, you can actually register online through church center. All right, now I'm I'm about what? to I'm about to blow everyone's minds. I'm not going to get into the the whole thing cuz Brad is going to handle that for us on Sunday. But if you have been a member here at Shades or you have been attending for a long time, you may be on what's called The Realm, and The Realm is kind of like a Facebook for churches that we've been using for several years, so you can set up a profile, you can register for events there, Me- we have the Gracevine message yeah. group that's and, on that.
1: And it's okay, we can all be honest. Like, it has done its job. It has done its job. But it's not great. Right. It's not fantastic, it's not the most intuitive, it's it's okay.
0: yeah. And we've been doing a lot of research as to alternatives for the realm. So what is uh, some similar programs that are out there? When we schedule volunteers for Sunday morning, we've always used this app and website called Planning Center.
1: Yeah, if you've volunteered for anything here at Shades before, you're probably already familiar with Planning Center. Right,
0: and Planning Center really started as just a way to schedule volunteers. It was, you know, if you want to schedule your band for Sunday mornings and post the set list and the service flow, you can do it all in one place. It's real easy, and over the years, the Planning Center has just grown and grown, and so essentially, they have uh, an app now called Church Center, which is a, it's basically very similar to the Realm. It's a little more intuitive, I think. It's a I personally think it's a little more user friendly, and so we. Oh, are, it's
1: definitely more yeah. user friendly. I think the moment you open the app and look at it, you're like, oh, this is cleaner and more right. professional looking, and yeah, I, I think it's a lot easier to navigate.
0: And because we already have volunteers that have profiles on Planning Center, it would make a lot of sense and not have multiple profiles through multiple apps or websites but to try to centralize everything.
1: Yeah, so that's the nice thing is like we will use Planning Center for not only scheduling of our tiers but for this for our membership communications, we'll yep. use it for our children, we'll use it for our financial yep. stuff. So in other words, when you set up your one Planning Center profile, you're done. Right. Like if it's you, all right there. Yeah, let's say you you've created that profile, and then you decide I want to volunteer for coffee. It's not like you got to go and sign up for something new. We can just go in and assign you to a coffee team. Yep. You know, and so it just it brings everything into just this one uh, location, and and in a way that we think is easier and more intuitive. So yeah, like anything, there will be a little bit of a struggle as we make the shift, but once we're there, I think we will all be happier, and we will no longer have to make the joke of, hey, go sign up for the realm. No, it's not an online role-playing game. Like, we won't have to make that joke anymore. We'll be like, church center. And we don't have to explain it because it sounds like a church app. Right, and you can,
0: yeah, you basically download the app. You can search the church uh, that you're wanting to be a part of on church center, or you can actually use your browser on your computer, on your phone. There will be a link. We're going to provide all of this on Sunday. It's going to be a lengthy announcement. We're going to have QR codes available where you can just scan it and get signed up if you don't already have
1: a profile. And if you're not technologically savvy, we'll help you. Yeah. We will find a way to help you. Yeah.
0: and And like Jonathan said, there will be a transitional period where everything's moving over from the realm to planning center. So we realized this is not just going, you can't build Rome in a day, you know, so it's not just going to happen overnight, but um, we're very excited. So you can actually, you'll be able to sign up for the Ruth seminar, all that to say through church center and the women's retreat is coming up and registration opens the same day that we launch Church Center. Just r- so many exciting things. So, registration. My word. Yep. Registration opens up for the women's retreat. Things are this happening. Sunday. And the We're women's retreat it. is happening.
1: It's October 6, it's, 7, and 8. Yes, that is correct.
0: I at Camp McDowell. You'll be able to register for that this awesome. Sunday. Wow. Woo. Woo. So much. Okay. So It was much. a lot.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, well, the school year is about to crank back up. August is always exploding with stuff going yep. on. Always a lot of things happening. Because we've had had time during the summer to accomplish (laughs) stuff. (laughs) All right. Well, for the rest of today, I'm not going to hang around uh, because I'm on a staycation, so I'm going (laughs) to get out of here. No, we're actually going to do one of what we call uh, greatest hits, which is just where we replay an old sermon. And this one actually isn't that old, but we have a very specific reason in replaying this sermon for you. So it comes from about a, a year ago a little bit more than a I think year so. ago when we went through the sermon a on the bit mount more, yeah. yeah we went through the sermon on the mount and this sermon uh comes from the very beginning of chapter 7 which Matthew 7 and verse 1 is one of the most famous well-known verses in the Bible judge not lest you be judged um one of the most misapplied misused verses of the Bible and if you were if you were at Shades this Sunday in the back half of the service, Chad Stogner uh, got up and shared just a really beautiful testimony. Um, and in the course of sharing that testimony, he he talked about how he'll often have, like, interactions with people. And, and this will kind of come up if you're just trying to speak the truth and love to somebody. The They can retort with, like, oh, well, you're judging me, you know, and don't, don't judge me. Judge not lest you be judged kind of thing. And just kind of express, like, man, how, how do you respond to that? You know? And so I, I thought this would be a great chance for us to just kind of revisit that because in the course of the sermon, I do try to tackle that specific question uh, while also just giving us a fuller picture of what's going on. So hopefully this will be helpful to you, encouraging to you. And yeah, without any further ado, here's the sermon Judge Not.
2: Good morning, Shades. The scripture reading for today is Matthew 7. Verses 1 through 12. So I'll give you a minute to flip there. Matthew 7, verses 1 through 12. Judge not that you be not judged. For the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First you take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: So if you haven't already, I do invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. You just heard verses 1 through 12 read. This week we will primarily focus in on verses 1 through 6. We'll do a flyby of verses 7 to 12, but don't worry, we will sink in there and sink our teeth in good next week. So, Matthew chapter 7. Seven. On more than one occasion, Solomon, my four-year-old, has, like, waltzed into mine and Holly's room with this very suspicious grin on his face and then proceeded to ask permission to watch some Disney Channel tween show, like, which he obviously has no personal interest in at all. I mean, this kid, like, he loves Octonauts and Paw Patrol and Rescue Bots, and if you don't know what any of that is, you are blessed of the Lord, all Right. (laughs) But this is the things that he, these are the things that he likes. He has he never of his own volition gone, you know what I could really go for right now? Like some Hannah Montana or I Carly. Like that's not him. When he does that, it's painfully obvious that he has been co-opted by one of his older siblings who has sent him in to mom and dad because surely mom and dad do not have the willpower or the ability to say no to the youngest slash cutest of the haves oh how wrong they are um but it's painfully obvious that that's what's going on because whenever you are all about yourself which is what that older sibling is being in that moment whenever you're all about yourself it necessarily shows up in how you relate to everybody else when you're all about yourself it will show up in how you relate to others. I believe that's what we see going on right here in Matthew chapter 7 verses 1 through 12. This is the final teaching section of the Sermon on the Mount. Like the overarching structure uh, Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 to 20 is like the introduction and then from verse 20 on we're in the main teaching. The main teaching section concludes right here at chapter 7 and verse 12. Everything after verse 12 is conclusion. And what we've seen in this main teaching section throughout the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus has been teaching us about our need for a righteousness greater than that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Now you remember, righteousness for the scribes and the Pharisees, it was merely external. It was just doing the right actions. They had no internal affection for God. Thus they lived a divided life. You see that? Externally, they claimed and looked like they were all about God, but internally, they were all about themselves. And we've seen that throughout the Sermon on the Mount. We've seen that that affects how they relate to everything. We've seen how them being all about themselves affects how they relate to God's Word. They make it about justifying themselves. We've seen how them being all about themselves affects how they relate to worship. They make it about glorifying themselves. And over the past couple of weeks, we've seen how them being all about themselves affects the way they relate to the world, specifically over the last few weeks, to the possessions of the world. They make those all about satisfying themselves. And now, right here, we see how they relate not to the possessions of the world, but the people of the world. Because when you are all about yourself, it shows up in how you relate to everybody else how do the pharisees who are all about themselves how do they relate to everybody else look at matthew chapter 7 and verse 1 judge not that you be not judged if jesus is calling us away from the lesser righteousness of the scribes and the pharisees then that's exactly what we are getting a picture of right here and this is confirmed for us all over the gospels this is how the pharisees related to others they were judgmental towards others they looked down on others. Apparently they saw themselves as better than everybody else. Apparently, the Pharisees being all about themselves meant that they related to everybody else through arrogant self-righteousness. They were all about themselves. So how they relate to everybody else? It's got to affect it. And it does. I'm all about myself. I elevate myself so I relate to others through Arrogant self-righteousness. But shades, Jesus has called us to a righteousness greater than that of the scribes and the Pharisees. The righteousness of His kingdom that's not hypocritically divided. No, it's actually a holy righteousness because it's actually whole. The external and the internal are united, not divided. You love God, and so you live for God. Your actions flow out of your affections. This is the greater righteousness of the kingdom of Christ. And Jesus has spent this whole sermon showing us what that looks like. What what does it look like? He's shown us what it looks like to live out this greater righteousness in relation to the word what it looks like to live out this greater righteousness in relation to worship. And over the past couple of weeks, he's been showing us what it looks like to live it out in relation to the world, mainly the possessions of the world and now the people. That's what he aims to show us right here. This greater righteousness of a heart that actually loves and has affection for God. So its actions flow forth from it. What does it look like that greater righteousness to relate to the people of the world. Because, conversely, I said when we're all about ourselves, it affects how we relate to everybody else. The converse is true as well. When we are not about ourselves, that should also show up in how we relate to everybody else. What does that look like? What does the greater righteousness of the kingdom of Christ look like as we relate to others? That's what we want to see. As we've already seen, Jesus starts with what it doesn't look like. It doesn't look like arrogant self-righteousness. Let's sink into this. Look at Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. Now, despite what most people think, Jesus is not prohibiting all judgment right here. And it should be pretty easy to see that if you just read through the teaching of Jesus. Throughout his teaching, he calls us to use wise judgment. We normally call it discernment. He's actually going to call us to use discernment, wise judgment, twice in this very passage. Like, he is, in, in verse 5 and in verse 6, he, he is not prohibiting all judgment. What is he prohibiting? Unfair, unrighteous, unjust judgment. You can see that clearly through the warning that he gives in verse 2. Look at it. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. In other words, don't judge unfairly using a different standard for everybody else. Because that may feel life-giving in the moment, like it makes you better than everybody else. It may feel life-giving, but it will end up being deadly to you. Jesus says it will end up being deadly because there is an ultimate judge who sets all wrongs right. So he will take whatever standard you use on others and use it on you. That's justice. Fairness. It's a making of wrongs right. That's what Jesus illustrates in the rest of verse 2. Look at it. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That's a marketplace illustration. So in the first century, a lot of things in the market had to be weighed out, like like wheat. Weigh out the wheat, weigh out the prices. is how you made sure everything was fair and balanced. But you could cheat. You could cheat people if you had some rigged measurements going on. So, to ensure fairness, justice... What would be fair is whatever measure you use for selling wheat to others, that should be the measure used whenever wheat is sold to you. Jesus' point is don't cheat people. Instead, treat them the way that you want to be treated. That should sound familiar. Is that not the golden rule that we find at the very end of this passage in verse 12? Look at it. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. That's just the inverse of verse 1 and 2. Don't treat others unfairly. No, because you don't want that coming back on you. However you would want to treat others, that's that's how you should treat it. Use the measure with them that you want used on you because, Jesus says, the day is coming when it will be. A just judge will set all things right. It's like... It's like what I do with my kids when I make them split a a piece of dessert. Like if the one doing the dividing intentionally tries to make their piece bigger, which you know always happens. And I don't know why they do it because they know what I'm going to do. If they intentionally try to make, to measure out a smaller piece for the sibling, I make them swap pieces. Justice. The measure that you use will be measured back to you. This is what Jesus is saying. Don't judge unjustly because there is an ultimate judge. In my kid's case, it's me. In our case, it's God. There's an ultimate judge who will ensure that justice is done. And now, in verse 3, Jesus gives us another illustration. Probably the most famous one in the entire sermon on the mount and he gives us this next illustration to reveal precisely what kind of unfair unjust judgment he has in mind look at it with me verse three why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that's in your own or how can you say to your brother let me take that speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye What kind of unfair, unjust judgment does Jesus have in mind? Arrogant, self-righteous judging. That's what Jesus is talking about. You can see that clearly in this illustration about not being able to see clearly. Can you not? Jesus right here is is pulling from his... uh, carpentry background, construction worker background. He was the son of a carpenter, a tectone. You can work with stone, work with wood. Basically, it's just your average run-of-the-mill construction worker, day, day laborer. And so it seems like Jesus is, is envisioning a common situation he probably would have experienced. Speck of sawdust getting in your eye. Uh, OSHA was not necessarily around monitoring these construction situations, not a whole lot of eye protection going on, I imagine. And he sets that, what was probably a really common situation, he sets that right next to a ridiculous, literally impossible situation of getting a roofing beam stuck in your eye. This is not a plank, this is not a piece of wood, this is not a stick, it's not a two by four. It's a beam. Log is not a bad translation right here. I mean, in construction, the roof was basically the only place they used wood in first century Israel. Everything else was mud brick. So... Jesus sets this common situation of a sawdust speck in the eye next to the ridiculous situation of a beam stuck in your eye, and then he asks two questions. Why and how? Do you notice that in verses 3 and 4? It's how they begin. Why and how. First, why? Why? What, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye? But you don't notice the beam... In your own. Why? We're supposed to know why. We're supposed to know the answer from verses 1 and 2. It's because we're using a different measurement for our brother than we use for ourselves. We're judging them by a different standard. That's why we see their speck and don't see our beam. Why? Why do we see the speck? Miss the beam? Because of arrogant self Righteousness that blinds me to beams and sharpens my ability to see specks. It's like the Pharisees, right? Who see every little mistake that everybody else, everybody else commits, everybody else makes, but they are blind to the fact that their entire lives are lived in opposition to God's glory. Because their entire lives are all about their own glory. Blind to that. They're being all about themselves. It shows up in how they treat everybody else. And we are meant to ask right here, what about us shades? Like, do we have eagle-eye vision for specs? For specks in each other's eyes? While virtually being blind to beams in our own? I mean, we could do the easy thing right here. It would be easy to talk about how other people are guilty of this. I hope you see the irony in that. It'd be really easy to like turn on our culture and society right here. Talk about how we live in such a judgmental culture that claims to be tolerant. Just take a perusal of your social media feed. judgiest judging culture ever be easy to judge our judgmental culture but Jesus is actually calling us right here quite clearly to take a hard look at ourselves he's calling the church to take a hard look at our own beams How do I know that? He specifically says, why do you see the speck that's in your brother or sister's eye? It's a Greek word, adelphoi. Literally just means brothers and sisters. Matthew always uses it to refer to fellow believers in Jesus. Jesus is telling us not to relate To one another, of course we're not supposed to relate to the world in self-righteous, arrogant judgment. We're supposed to be a light to the world. He's covered all that. Here at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he turns and he looks at us and goes, here's how you're supposed to relate to one another, not through arrogant self-righteousness. And it makes perfect sense to me, Shades, why he would make this the last thing he says in the teaching section of the Sermon on the Mount. Because after we've heard all of this teaching... Would this not be the point where we would be most tempted to say, that was a great sermon, Jesus. I know exactly who should have heard it. And we, we use the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount, which should help us see our own beams. We use it as a means to focus on our brothers' and sisters' specs. Jesus, I know who needed to hear that part about twisting your word. I know who needed to hear that part about making worship all about themselves. Or I really, I really know who needed to hear that part about treasuring all the possessions of this world because they, they've got a massive materialism problem. Or let me get, let me get really personal shades. Let me me tell you how God has been using this text to convict me this week. I have found myself tempted to say at this point in the Sermon on the Mount, great sermon, Jesus. I know exactly who needs to hear it. all the people that I'm still angry with due to difficulties COVID caused in our relationships. I hope they get to hear what you had to say. All the wild shades. I, I'm failing to see the beam of bitterness in my own eye. I'm failing to see that what Jesus said back in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 15, that's for me. Do you remember what he said? If you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. For with the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Shades. Why? Jesus asks, Why are we so quick? Why am I? Why am I so quick to see other specks and ignore my own beams? The answer is only arrogant self-righteousness. And Jesus is warning us that's deadly. It's deadly because the judgment that it deals out will one day justly be dealt Not saying that if we're guilty of this, then we're beyond repentance, and or we could lose our salvation, or any of these kinds. I'm not saying any of that. Jesus is throwing out these words to us to shake us and wake us up, so that we will repent of this we will return to him but what i am saying is that if we live our lives this way and even when it is brought to our attention we refuse to repent then like the pharisees we are bearing witness to the fact that we do not in fact belong to christ forgiveness is not an option for us shades If you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Forgiveness is not an option for believers in Jesus. I'm not saying that it's easy, but it's day one and it's the last day of the Christian faith. Arrogant self-righteousness is deadly shame that's what Jesus is showing us. And not just he's not just showing us that arrogant self-righteousness is deadly to us individually, but also that it's deadly to us as a community, as a as a church. I mean, clearly, it's really easy to see how it hurts our relationships with one another, but arrogant self-righteousness doesn't only hurt our relationships with one another, it actually prevents us from being able to help each other in the way that we are called to do. I think that we see that clearly through Jesus' second question. He doesn't just ask us why, he also asks how. That's in verse 4. Look at it with me. How? How can you say to your brother or sister, let me take that speck out of your eye when there is a beam in your own? The implied answer is you can't. The the beam is blocking your vision. You can't help them. You can't can't see clearly in order to grab the speck. What you're professing to do, you can't do. You're a blind person trying to lead the blind. Jesus said, you do that. Both of you are going to fall into the pit. And here's the deal. When your brother and sister in Christ have a speck in their eye, they really do need your help. They really do. Your sibling in Christ really needs the help of removing that speck. That's why Jesus gives us the instruction that he does in verse five. Look at it. You hypocrite. First, take the beam out your own eye. And then you will, you will, you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus is showing us how to relate to one another in a way not only that doesn't hurt, but that actually helps Namely, don't relate to one another through arrogant self-righteousness. No, relate to one another through humble Christ-centeredness. Do you see that? Humble. First, he says, take the beam out of your own eye. In other words, humble yourself. Don't don't be hypocritically centered on yourself like the Pharisees and their arrogant self-righteousness. No, you've been called to a greater righteousness, one that humbles itself. Do you see the irony right there? Greater righteousness, we typically think of greater as something that's elevated. It's definitely how the Pharisees are going for their greater righteousness through elevating themselves. But the greater righteousness that Jesus calls us to doesn't make us elevate ourselves, it makes us humble ourselves. For Jesus, the greater goes lower. The last or first, the greatest is the servant. The greater righteousness of the kingdom of Christ doesn't elevate itself, it humbles itself because it's not centered on self. It's centered on, it looks away from the self, humbles itself, and it's centered on Christ The greater righteousness has internal affections that are for Christ and for his glory. That leads to external humility. It leads me to see my own beams, to confess them, and to depend upon Jesus and his power to remove them. And when he does, then, then I can lovingly and humbly see to help my brothers and sisters around me which is precisely what I'm called to do and Jesus wants us to do. I know that because he not only addresses it here, but all throughout the Gospel of Matthew, most famously in Matthew chapter 18. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus lays out specific instructions for how to help your brother when they are dealing with sin. You remember these? You go humbly, lovingly to that brother or sister individually. You don't don't lord yourself, elevate yourself as greater than them you come humbly lovingly and you go to them individually if they don't listen then you take one or two brothers or sisters with you and if they don't listen then you get the church church leadership involved i know all of this is to be done lovingly and humbly because in matthew chapter 18 go home and read it matthew after chapter 18 right after jesus gives these instructions he gives a parable it's the parable of the unforgiving servant who cannot see the beam in his own eye of massive debt that he owes his king. So he arrogantly, self-righteously refuses to forgive the speck of debt that a fellow servant owes him. And you know how that story ends? With the judgment he pronounced, he was judged. With the measure that he used, it was measured back to him by the king. He refused to forgive, and so he was not forgiven. Here's the point, shades. The, the point of Matthew 7 and Matthew 18 in conjunction is that we are to help one another humbly, lovingly. Christ has called us to live this life of greater righteousness, life in his kingdom. We've got to help one another to do that. Jesus has called us to lovingly and humbly help one another and conversely that point it's got a it's got a flip side when our brothers and sisters lovingly and humbly come to us to help with our specs we're supposed to humbly receive that help Do you see that Matthew 7 and 18 Jesus tells us we're to help brothers and sisters Humbly, lovingly, the flip side of that is that when we're on the other side, we are to receive that help. That's why in Matthew 18, Jesus tells us to labor through multiple attempts. Go to them. They won't receive the help. Try again. They won't receive the help. Try again point is that we're supposed to receive the help. Ironically, most of us quote Matthew 7 to reject Matthew 18 help. Other Christians come to us humbly, lovingly to try and help us. Matthew 18, we quote Matthew 7. Don't judge me. Judge not lest you be judged. Aha, Jesus juke. Like Jesus gave me this ultimate trump card right here in Matthew 7. Can't Judge me, which means I can live my life however I want to and you can't tell me otherwise. I, uh, many of you know already uh, that my entire family, except for Karis, has gotten into Taekwondo. Yes, that does include Holly and myself. In fact, Holly, she, she's the one who's really into it. She recently got a job at our dojo. Not kidding. Um, yeah, we're all in. It's a problem. This past week, this past week, so I'm I'm studying for this sermon. I've got Matthew 7, 1 on the brain. And we're in class, and uh, a time comes for us to test for a stripe on our belt. And there's too many people in the class for the instructor to test individually. So the instructor calls on her most recent employee for help, Holly. And she points at my group and says, Holly, with like a smirk on her face, go judge them. I immediately looked at Holly and said, judge not lest you be judged, lady. (laughs) Of course, I was joking, but this is how most of us use Matthew 7-1. It's kind of like a force field to guard against anybody else judging me, correcting me, or speaking into my life in any way that I don't like. But this passage actually instructs us to do the exact opposite. It calls us to speak into one another's lives with humble love that's aimed at healing. And when our brothers and sisters come to us that way, we dare, shades, we dare not reject the very thing that God has given to help us. That would be deadly to us as an individual. Is that not how Matthew 18 ends? The person who refused to repent ultimately is put outside the community because it can't be affirmed. They are part of the Jesus-loving community. To reject the very help that God has offered to lead us in his kindness to repentance would be too deadly to us individually and also deadly to us as a community. Shades, shades, what I'm trying to get us to see is that this passage, Matthew 7, 1, it is not a force field meant to protect your heart. No, I hope what we've seen is that it is a sword meant to pierce it. So that it can be a balm to heal it and provide power to transform it. Do you see that? Do you see that? Do you you see that first, this passage is like a sword meant to pierce our heart, to make us confront and confess our own beams in humility so that second, it can be like a balm to heal our hearts. It shows us how to help one another in humility. And third, this passage provides the power for us to do all of that. All that it is calling us to do so that our hearts are transformed from arrogant self-righteousness to humble Christ-centeredness. And you're like, Jonathan, I don't see that. That's because we need to keep reading to see how this passage provides us all the power that it is calling us to do. Keep reading with me. Verse six, do not give to dogs what is holy do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. Now, every scholar that I have read is in agreement that this is the hardest verse in the entire Sermon on the Mount to interpret. And that's because none of them are in agreement about what things that are holy, pearls, dogs, pigs mean. Like there's like A million, okay, there's not a million. There's a lot of viable options. We don't have time to go through all of them. If you would like, you can ask me later. I'm happy to let you hear all of them. But I believe, here's the deal I believe that no matter which option you take, what you think these things symbolically mean, or if they're not symbols for anything, which happens to be the position that I take, but. I think no matter what you think they mean, Jesus' point that he's making is very clear. Namely, be discerning. Do you see that? To Jews in the first century, dogs and pigs are both unclean animals. Dogs were not house pets. They were street scavengers. Think coyotes. Like, you wouldn't give them things that were holy. That would make them unclean. That would be foolish, in other words, Jesus is saying. It wouldn't be wise. You wouldn't take something valuable that you own like pearls and give it to wild pigs who put everything in their mouth and once they realize it's not food, they're going to trample it and be so angry, they'll probably turn around and trample you. Wild boars and pigs are insanely and incredibly dangerous. Jesus is saying to do that would be unwise. It would be foolish. In other words, Jesus is saying right here, I believe, test it, I believe that what Jesus is saying Is my instructions to you about not judging does not eliminate wise judgment, discernment. It should eliminate unjust judgment, but not wise discernment. Or to put it another way, Jesus says it like this in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 16. He says, You're to be as innocent as doves, not unjust, unrighteous judgment wise as serpents. Why does He say that? Because I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. You've got to be discerning. He's going to say the same thing to us in the Sermon on the Mount in one of the concluding bits here in just a little bit. I just look down at verse 15. He's going to tell you you're going to encounter some wolves who try to act like they're sheep. False teachers. False prophets. You've got to use wise judgment. You've got to be discerning, not arrogantly judgy, no, be innocent as doves. Be humbly discerning, wise as serpents. Now, I don't know about you, but once I hear Jesus say all of that, I go, okay, Jesus, thank you, but I am confused. You have said, don't judge but judge. And I get, I get the distinction. I see that. But how in the world? Jesus, I don't have the wisdom to do this. I don't have the wisdom to know when I should be as innocent as a dove, wise as a serpent. Sometimes I probably think that I'm being uh, humbly Christ-centered, but I'm actually being arrogantly self-righteous. Like, I don't have the power. How in the world am I going to have the power to do this complex thing that you've called us to do? To not judge in arrogant self-righteousness, but to be transformed in order to discern and humble Christ-centeredness. How am I going to have the power to do that? Jesus is glad we asked, he answers. Verse seven, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him in a parallel passage in luke 11 and verse 13 it gets even more specific how much more will the father give the holy spirit to those who ask him in other words jesus is saying god will provide the power for you to do what i'm calling you to do god will provide ask him seek him and in your asking and your seeking and your knocking, he will provide the power for you to discern in humble Christ's centeredness. He will give you the wisdom just to ask. James 1 in verse 5: if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Ask. James also says, You have not, because you ask not. Ask. God, I want to live the way You've called me to live. Ask. Seek. Knock. Your Father will provide the power through His Holy Spirit to transform your heart From judging in arrogant self-righteousness to discerning in humble Christ-centeredness. I know that's the power being promised right here because of the very first word of verse 12. Look at it. If you got an ESV, it says so. Bad translation. Greek word is un. It means therefore. Therefore, like like, in other words, because your father will provide you all the power that you need, you can live this way that I'm calling you to live. Look at, it. therefore, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. In other words, don't judge others with the judgment that you don't want coming back on yourself. Don't measure to others the measurement that, or don't measure to others with a measurement you don't want used back on you. No, instead, live this way, humbly, Christ-centeredly, treating others the way that you want to be treated, relating to others the way you want to be related to. Not through arrogant self righteousness, but humble Christ centeredness. Shades. Our hearts can be transformed so that we live this way because we don't live this way in our own power. That's what the therefore does. It connects asking your father with living this way. We can live this way because we don't live this way in our own power, but in power that has been promised from the Father. He can promise it to you because that power has been purchased by His Son. Jesus Christ was judged for you so that you not be judged. The the measure that I should have received for my sin was measured out to Him. And the measure of His righteousness really measured out, poured out, given to me because he bore every beam of my sin, quite literally on the beams of the cross. And he didn't just take the beams of my sin. He took every last little spot And he bore it all down into death, defeated it, and rose again to give me life and light so that I might see him. Now free from beams, free from specks, I might see him clearly in all his glory. Shades, that's the gospel. And it pierces our hearts like a sword so that it may heal them like a balm and transform us to live the life of the greater righteousness of the kingdom of Christ. Shades, let's ask, seek, and knock for that. Let's, let's ask the Father to provide the power to put all of our arrogant self-righteousness to death. Let's seek, let's seek to live in humble Christ-centeredness that Jesus Himself has purchased and the Spirit empowers. Let's knock on that door. No matter how many times we shut it in our own face. Let's ask, seek, knock and be empowered to live out the greater righteousness